Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, everybody, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. We got a nice episode for you today. See what I did there? As you see, Papa Siegel is the guest on this week's show. Bit of a different episode from our normal routine, but... I figured now that it's the offseason, championship weekend has come and gone, credit one bank, white flag in the air, has wove, wove, woven, waved, I don't know, my brain's mush as you can tell, checkered flag's out, so let's switch it up a little bit. Papa Siegel, he is our guest this week. I will say, just because some things are different doesn't mean that we're going to reinvent the wheel here. We still got to pay homage to the number 69. We still got to throw it to Papa Siegel for this week's Wayback segment before we get rolling. So why don't we go ahead and do that right now? Thank you, Duke. Welcome, everyone, to episode 169. Believe it or not, I took over the Wayback segment duties from Davey in August 2020 with episode 69. So last week was the 100th Papa Siegel contribution to the podcast. Time flies, right? In episode 69... We discuss two-wheeler legend Nikki Hayden, the Kentucky kid. Today, we get a little more personal for 169. You may have heard of Bob Bondurant. He made one NASCAR start in Car 69, but made a bigger racing name for himself overseas. He started nine races in Formula One in 1965 and 66, and won a first-in-class title at Le Mans in 1964, driving a Shelby Cobra Daytona with Dan Gurney. Bondurant's greatest contribution, however, was his establishment in 1968 of a high-performance driving school. Over the years, Bondurant served as a driving instructor to many high-profile names, including actors James Garner, Paul Newman, Clint Eastwood, Robert Wagner, Tim Allen, Tom Cruise, and Nicolas Cage. In addition to celebrities, his racing schools have provided thousands of wannabe racers the chance to learn about driving fast and giving them the chance to strap in and feel, even if just for a couple days, the adrenaline of racing. One of those wannabes was yours truly. Yes, I took a Bondurant course at Road Atlanta during my time at college in Atlanta, which further sparked my interest in motorsports, which trickled down to Davey. So, in a way, Davey has Bob Bondurant to thank for his interest in racing? Maybe? Bondurant passed away in November 2021 at the age of 88. His driving schools live on. That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. A, nice. Don't know if you know what that means. B, always appreciate you paying homage to the past while also looking ahead to the present and future in the Wayback segment. And without further ado, let's just get this episode started with a good old-fashioned... And I don't even have to throw it straight over to an interview because the man you just heard from with that pre-recorded homage to the number 69 is now sitting at the kitchen table alongside me. Papa Siegel, good to see you in the flesh. How we doing? Hello, my boy. Glad we're doing this. The fans are getting what they want. Yes. They want more Papa Siegel. Have you have you heard from the fans over the year? I'm, I'm hoping that the fans want more okay. Papa Siegel. All right. Well, I can tell you, I don't know if he's listening. I hope he is. Grant Paulson, 106.7 The Fans Finest. Yes. DC Sports commissioner confidant he's a fan of you all right i have one yep um i don't know if mom listens but she helps sometimes so i I assume she's a fan well i'm not sure you listen well i haven't listened yet 
Do you usually listen? Yes. But if you send it to me after I record my intro and my outro, then it doesn't sound like I listen, but I do listen when you send it. Sometimes you just send it to me and then I drag the file from my messages to my desktop so I know I have it and I have to edit it later, but I don't listen in that very moment because I can't carve out the two to three minutes, sometimes more, that you give to whoever we're paying homage to. So yes, I listen. It's just a matter of when. See what he did there? A little, little dig about when I go too long. Well, yes, this has been a... You've gotten better. I've gotten better. You've gotten much better, but... What about, what about Rock and Robin? Does she ever listen? No. Yeah. I don't know if her dad does either. Grandma Natty listens sometimes. Oh, okay. Well, I think she does. I hope she does. Well, she was asking me about how to listen to Sirius, and I was like, I'll get you set up. Don't worry. And she was like, yeah, I think it's on my phone, on my podcast thing. And I was like, I don't think that's the same thing. But we'll figure it out. All right. Well, Grant, I'm glad you're a fan. Yes. Anybody else? Any, anybody uh, I, else? Write, write into Davey. Yeah. Let him know. Well, there was, there actually was one person. I don't know if I can find them on short notice, but I remember that they did tweet me and say that they enjoyed your Wayback segments. I don't know who it was. I don't think it was Kathleen who has been an OG supporter of Victory Lane. We love you, Kathleen. I think it was another fella. But uh, if you're a supporter of Papa Siegel, tweet me, beat me. You know how to reach me. Let me know. All right. I was, I was hoping for a shout-out from Pistol Pete. Well, he does, he doesn't listen to this. So. Yeah, all right. Anyways, you ready to talk about Phoenix? Yeah, let's go. Okay. So you are not there. You've never been to Phoenix, right? You want to go. No, that's on my short list for tracks I want to go to see. Okay. So did you watch all three races, Trucks, Xfinity Cup? No. What didn't you watch? Didn't watch the Trucks. Okay. Um, saw the end of the Xfinity race. Okay. And with Grandma, I saw... A good amount of the cup race. Yeah, she gave me a good report. As I was in the middle of chaos post-race as it is, I, I saw her report pop yeah. up. Okay. I was in the middle of chaos helping her out. That, that's how it works. Um, all right, so I, I am going to ask you about Xfinity and trucks, even though you didn't watch them. Um, let's go in chronological order. Zane Smith is your truck series champ. He's got a real bright future ahead. I don't know if you're aware, but he came in second place in the truck points the last two years. He fell uh, to Sheldon Creed last year, who was his teammate at the time, and he wanted to avenge that loss, both of those losses this year. Did exactly that. Probably was the best truck for the entirety of the season. Brings it home with a championship, and he's coming back next year for another year in the Truck Series and is going to be making limited starts in the Cup Series for Front Row Motorsports. I know you didn't watch the truck race, but presumably you've watched some truck races this season. What do you think of Insane Zane getting that truck championship? Um, happy for him. I think he's a deserving champion. Um, still not sure what his path is going to be to move up. I'm a little worried that he's getting locked into sort of a, you know, a, a Hornaday kind of like a truck lifer. You know, yeah, Matt Crafton. Well, that's kind the, of he's, existence. Well, Which, he's not nothing bad about that, but. I disagree because I think he wants more than that. And he's getting more than that. He's running the Daytona 500 for front row. Uh, he ran that race when he filled in for Chris Buescher at RFK because Ford really values him. He's probably the top Ford developmental prospect right now. Uh, they don't have a ton in the pipeline. They got Zane Smith. They got Haley Deegan, Riley Herps, if you want to call him a development driver. I know he's been in Xfinity for a little bit, but he is kind of the new, the newest, hottest prospect like he's been around the block a time or two again he's finished second in truck points the last two years but now he's starting to come into his own he lost his ride over at gms had some limited starts at junior motorsports and xfinity impressed there and now he was able to get with front row motorsports which you didn't watch the race so you probably don't know this but he didn't have a job for a while he made over 120 phone calls and left voicemails to all different teams owners crew chiefs anybody that would talk to him. And the one thing that materialized, the one person that picked up was Bob Jenkins of Front Row Motorsports. So as Todd Gillen was moving on to the Cup Series, going from the 38 truck to the 38 Cup car, Zane Smith slides in there and, frankly, outperforms Todd's performance in the trucks, brings home a championship in his first year with the team. So to answer your question about the trajectory, I think he's fine. Because even though next year is going to be a full-time truck year, presumably Ford will find a spot for him in 2024, especially considering Eric Amarola might hang it up. 
Our boy Kevin might hang it up. Um, who knows what's going to go on with the 41 car, Cole Custer. There's going to be a lot of moving, shaking free agents that are going to be on the market. And, I mean, there's always the silly season when it comes to manufacturer alliances and teams. So I wouldn't be too pessimistic on his future. I think it's pretty bright. He's going to run the Daytona 500 and a few more cup races next year. Well, that's cool. And I'm a, I'm a big Bob Jenkins fan, even back to the ESPN days. Different even, Bob Jenkins. Oh, that's right. Different Bob Jenkins. Good try. Uh, Ty Gibbs. Let's talk about him. He's oh, dealing boy. with, he's dealing with a lot right now. Oh boy. Um, besides the fact that his dad obviously tragically passed away the I morning know. after and hours after he won the championship. I mean, that is neither here nor there, but speaking specifically on the racetrack, I know you caught the end of the race. You obviously knew the odds were stacked against him, right? Three junior motorsports cars in the championship four, one Joe Gibbs car. Noah Gregson's playing mind games all week in the media with him. Even his own team is turned against him to a certain extent. He admitted his wrongs. Whether or not you felt that was sincere, that's up to you. But he went out there and he pitched as close to a perfect game as you can possibly do. He dominated the race. He did not put a foot wrong. And he is most certainly a deserving champion and a deserving race winner. I was very, very impressed with what I saw from Ty Gibbs on Saturday. Yes. You have to sort of separate the talent from the other stuff and the noise that's been going along with him. You can't deny the talent. I know lots of people out there want to say, oh, he's got a silver spoon that, you know, he's been brought up with the best equipment and all the other stuff, and anybody could succeed with what he's been given to play with. I don't buy that at all. I, I definitely see the talent that's there. Um, deserving champion in terms of the skill and what he was able to do on that final day with all the pressure, especially after what had happened the week before, have no issue with all of that. But as you well know, to succeed long-term in that business requires more than just the talent. Um, you, you rely on the kindness and the respect of your fellow competitors. And he still doesn't have that much to, of um, to make it through to the end. Like I was always fond of Al Unser's old adage about, you know, to finish first, you, you must first, first must finish. finish. Yes. Um, he's got some serious fence mending, I think, to do over the off season. Mm -hmm. um, and whether he believes he did wrong or not, and I'm not so sure – he really sees it yet. Um, he's going to have to get on better terms with his competitors and show more respect on the racetrack um, to get some respect back to allow him to progress forward. Um, he's got all the potential in the world to be one of the next great young guns to progress as high as his talent will allow him to go, but he's going to have to do that with more than just the talent that God gave him. And he's going to have to do it in the Cup Series next year, too. Yeah. I mean, it's not official, and it who knows when they're going to come out, but it's the worst-kept secret, and it's obvious where he's going to be next year. I mean, I was at Martinsville. I heard the Boo Birds. I was at Phoenix, and I heard the Boo Birds, and I was at Media Day, and I heard all the mind games that Noah was playing with Ty, but to his credit... He sat there, stood there, took his lumps, apologized. Again, whether you feel like that was sincere or not, given the fact that he had kind of given the same scripted apology multiple times before the season because of issues that he's run into, like you pointed out, he did kind of what he had to do from a PR perspective and then whooped everybody on the racetrack. So I think it can be both things, right? You can, you can recognize and realize and come to terms with the fact that, all right, I have gotten to where I'm at partly because of who my grandpa is and what my last name is. But I also have worked really hard. I have sacrificed a lot. And even though I was born into this, I worked my butt off too. And I think that that's the case for Ty. It is interesting to me though because, you know, he had some success on the lower levels. He had a cup of coffee in K&N and ARCA. Obviously won the championship last year in ARCA. But before that, I feel like he wasn't really 
heard of all that much. I mean, Brexit Bush, you hear about before him a lot. That, before that, he was in diapers. Exactly. But, I mean, you hear about Brexit Bush, Keelan Harvick, they're racing all over the place. You would assume somebody with the last name Gibbs, who is on the path to becoming a race car driver like J.D. and Coy were, that you would hear about him a little bit more. But I, I don't know whether that was just a lack of, you know, him being seen on the national level whether it was him just tearing it up on short tracks and late models or whatever. But I was impressed by what he did on Saturday, given what had happened to him and what he had done to himself the prior week, the prior 30-plus weeks. Because you're right, he has not made a lot of friends this year. And it's going to take a long time, maybe forever, to amend some of those fences. But especially going to Cup next year, replacing, again, unofficially, what you know is going to be the 18 car, not to say that Ty Gibbs is the next Kyle Busch, but in terms of being a heel, being the villain, and being strongly disliked by the fan base for one reason or another, I feel like Ty Gibbs fits that mold. You take out one guy from the 18 car that is mostly hated for whatever reason by the fan base, you put in a young kid who has an element of nepotism to him, and let's be honest, he does have an element of brashness and cockiness to him. It just depends on the day, but... If I'm Ty Gibbs, if I'm JGR, I'll lean into it because at this point, you're not going to turn the fan base on your side. You're not going to have people coming out of the woodworks and saying, oh, you know what? He ran a good race. I'm a fan of his now. I mean, you can't erase all the mistakes and the aggressiveness that happened with him earlier on in the year. I would lean into it if I was him. He kind of He's kind of starting to. And I think I'll, I'll take the other end on that one. Please do. Um, you know, I, in terms of... Kyle Bush, you know, Kyle Bush's fan base and the people, you know, wanting to lean into hating him wasn't normally so much the on track stuff. It was, I think, almost as much just his petulant behavior off the track, you know, his, you know, the way that he treated the media, the way that, you know, he would you know, lean into, you know, getting out of the car and egging the fans on to boo him and stuff like that. Ty did it. Um, Well, I know he's done that, but Ty's, I mean, Ty's trouble is starting first and foremost from his on-track behavior. I Mm -hmm. don't think Kyle's troubles, if you want to call him that, really were so much about what he did on the track. Yeah. The other thing I don't think you can discount, though, is I think, Joe Gibbs and the organization um, and the Mars people in terms of the sponsorship, they put up with an awful lot from Kyle. Um, I don't think that Coach Gibbs and that organization wants to deal with that now that Kyle is gone. I think they wish him well. I'm sure they wish that they could have worked something out. Sure. But... Now that that's gone, especially you know his own grandkid, I think the coach is probably pretty far on the side of you know look, we got to clean this thing up, and you need to be one of the good guys in the garage, not viewed as one of the bad guys. Well, that's the thing. So how long's the leash then? Because there is an element of nepotism, and whether you like it or not, family treats family differently than they treat non-family members. Right, And even though Kyle Busch was a member of the JGR family for 15 years, and that's a real thing, I understand that, Ty has been and probably will be treated differently, preferentially to him. And that's just kind of the fact of the matter in this certain situation. So I don't disagree with you. I'm just curious to see how Joe specifically as the leader and the face of the franchise, no pun intended being a football thing, I'm curious how that situation kind of develops because Ty is going to run into more trouble. And he's also not going to have the immense success that he's had the last couple of years, just tearing everybody up. So how does he respond in the face of adversity? How does he respond when he's in the midst of a, I can't score a top 10 to save my life? How does he respond when he's not the center of attention? And if he is, it might be for the wrong reasons because he's adjusting to cup. That is when I think you're going to see potentially a change in Ty Gibbs. Short term, it's going to suck, but... Long term, probably will be for the best. You make a really good point. We're gonna we're gonna see what he's really made of when things aren't going so well. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. They're not gonna go really well 
to begin with. And he's got cup experience this year, but a, you know, a full-time ride next year with that being your sole focus, and there is pressure there. That's going to be different. Yeah, I also think that they're going to set some some clear expectations for him in terms of his behavior, both on track and off track. And I think, um, you know, and first of all, we're all devastated by what happened with his dad. Yeah. Um, and are sending condolences to him for that. I wonder if the memory and the legacy of his dad is going to pop into his head at those moments when mm. he might otherwise do something that he might regret and say, look, would my dad want me to be that kind of guy? Or, you know, apart from his grandpa yelling at him and telling him, you know, the memory of his dad and what his dad would want his sure. legacy to be. I'm hoping that those things will result in him, you know, when he's having those bad days and having those moments, being able in ways that the prior driver of that car often wasn't able to take a deep breath and say, all right, had a bad day. Appreciate the crew's efforts. We got to do better. I got to do better. We move on. Yeah. I echo everything he said there. I think it's going to be interesting to watch his development, not just next year, but even in the off season, how he conducts himself in the public eye, all those different things. There is a lot to, there's a lot to unpack when it comes to Ty Gibbs, but I'll, I'll just leave it at this. He may be the most talented driver that I have seen since I've kind of been covering the sport. And I realize that's not a long time, but you know, everybody was talking about Jeff Gordon when he's coming up, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, all this raw talent that needs to be harnessed. Ty Gibbs, I mean, he's been in the best stuff his entire career and that's not going to change, but he didn't. Sure. Sure. Yes. That is a good one too. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, him too. But I mean, Ty's got immense talent. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got to do with it next year when he presumably moves up to the cup series. I wish him luck. All right. Speaking of the cup series, Joey Logano, Afric. Afric. A deserving and worthy champion for sure. Two-time champ. He's now the only, now him and Kyle Busch, that is, they're the only two-time champions, multi-time champions in the Cup Series. Everybody else either has none or one. I think it goes without saying Joey is a Hall of Famer for sure whenever he hangs up the helmet. He's got two championships now. He's got a Daytona 500. He's got countless race wins, and he's probably got, honestly, a good 10, 15 years left in him if he wants to. My question to you before we break down the race a little bit, where would you rank him in terms of the current crop of cup drivers? Whether that's taking into account only this year's results on track, totality of his career compared to other people, I would probably put him solidly in the top five, generously. I could even argue that he's in the top three. I could even argue he's number one. Where would you put him in terms of compared to your Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, Kyle Larson, those types of drivers? Um, it's, it's hard because it's hard to separate the driver from the team that supports the driver. Mm -hmm. um, I'm with you somewhere, you know, towards the bottom of my top five, definitely in my top ten. Yeah. Um, I would hope so. She won the championship. Um, certainly, I thought going into – the race weekend, I thought he clearly was the favorite. Um, I don't think there was enough talk leading up to the final race just about how smart I think the team prepared for the final week that allowed them to win the pole, win that first pit stall, mm -hmm. which played a big role. And you it. know that they got that preparation set in stone because they won the first race of the Absolutely. round of eight. Absolutely. And think. then nobody wanted Homestead. Or was it Homestead? Yeah, nobody won at Homestead. So that was another week of the other seven guys scratching and clawing while they were straight chilling. So yeah. I think that was a big thing as well. Yeah, they had they had the most opportunity to be prepared to succeed in Phoenix. And to their credit, they did the smart things. They took advantage of it, and yep. they delivered. Paul Wolf deserves a lot of credit, I think. Absolutely. It was 10 years ago when he won his first championship. You remember when Brad Keselowski was a – Wide-eyed and bushy-tailed young kid, and was getting drunk on Sports Center, breaking his, uh, breaking the glass, blood on his hand. That was when Paul Wolf was leading the charge for the Tuke team, 
And now he adds a two to the car number, adds 10 years to his resume, and the double deuce now has got a championship under their belt. It's the third for Penske in NASCAR, second for Joey, second for Paul Wolf. I think crew chiefs overall, I mean, they just don't get enough credit for what they do, but Paul Wolf is kind of like a silent assassin. You don't hear from him a whole lot. He always is Penske perfect, says the right thing, but he's the type of guy that just goes out there, puts his head down, does his job, probably better than 99, 100% of the people in the garage area, and it showed why. Because, again, he had those two extra weeks to prepare. They got the pole. They got that number one pit stall, and that cannot be understated. Can't I think argue, you're right. Can't argue with the results. That's right. So the race on Sunday, I know you said you watched that one more than – Xfinity or Trucks. I think Trucks was probably the best race of the weekend, so you missed out. As it usually is. For better or for worse. Sometimes for worse, most <laughs> of the time. But I was surprised because nobody wrecked each other in the truck race when they definitely could have, and I could even argue should have. Uh, the Xfinity race, even though Ty whooped them, there was a lot of really good racing between the championship four. The three JRM guys were up there, and then you had the elephant in the room of, okay, everybody hates Ty right now. Is he going to get moved? Is he going to get wrecked? But they kept it clean and green, and that was great. But Sunday, unfortunately, I think, um, A, it was kind of clouded by the events that kind of came down in the morning with Coy, and that was super sad and tragic in the months itself. So that kind of had a different feel for a lot of people with the race, myself included. But as has been the case with the next-gen car on short tracks and road courses, you can call Phoenix a short track if you want, but the fact of the matter is it's a one-mile flat oval it just wasn't that great I mean it was okay it wasn't the worst race I've ever seen but I'm not gonna stand on top of Rattlesnake Hill and shout that this is the greatest thing I've ever seen either so what did you think of the race overall I mean for a championship race I'm sure NASCAR secretly probably wishes that it was a bit of a better show and that Joey didn't spank the field just like Ty and Zane did on Friday and Saturday but what'd you think of the show overall Eh, I thought it was like you. I thought it was a so-so race. Um, I wish the race could have delivered more in the way of drama and back and forth. Yeah. Um, I don't have a problem with them choosing Phoenix over Homestead, for example, for the race. If for no other reason, the, the fans out there support the sport so much more than my own hometown fans in yeah, Miami that's true. support any sport. I was trying to explain that to your grandmother. You know, it's like, well, how come they're not having it down here anymore? It's like because, you know, because NASCAR had to do everything in their power to try to get well anybody to show up and watch the thing, even though I know the sponsors loved being in South Florida, yeah. even the drivers who were able to say, all right, season's over. We go to Key West now for right. a week. I mean, you're not wrong, but I just want to clear it. They didn't move it from Homestead because of the fan attendance because that race always sold out because it was the championship race. I think they moved it because Phoenix got hundreds of millions of dollars of renovation. ISC wanted to reward that track for going the extra mile by giving a new market a new chance. Now, that's not to say that now that Homestead doesn't have the title race, the attendance was abysmal, to put it lightly. So you're right. But I'm glad you brought that up. So... Phoenix as the title venue. Kevin Harvick has said for a handful of years now that he thinks the title race should rotate. There's only obviously a handful of tracks that that can be accommodated with because of the weather at the time of year of late October, early November. What comes to mind? Fontana, which may or may not become a short track. We don't know. If it does become a short track, I think you're probably looking at the season finale for 2025 in LA on a short track. Um, Phoenix is obviously one of them. Vegas is one of them, but the problem is that's an SMI-owned track. I don't think ISC is going to give up potentially the biggest date of the year being the championship to an entity that they do not own. Well, they might do that if the trade was big enough. Fair. If 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 SMI was willing to give up a date during the regular season sure. to get a final date. I mean, there, there's there's a deal there to be made. Yeah. yeah keep going. Texas. It, well, Texas is the absolute worst track known to mankind and it still might be cold there in november daytona but i do not want no, my championship decided that. on a super speedway same atlanta. thing with talladega atlanta's now a super speedway i don't want that get out of there uh martinsville is the penultimate race it's too cold so i don't want that let's um, go back to rockingham well, they're open at wilkesboro so <laughs> you do rockingham so th my point is though yeah. your options are limited yeah. right and you're not going to go to you know 
Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez and run a street course race in Mexico City. So I understand the pickle that they're in, right? You can either go back to Homestead or keep it at Phoenix or have a rotating kind of panel. I'm for the rotation, more so because I like diversity, I like change, and I liked Homestead, and I would be a fan of moving it back there. But with the next-gen car, which we'll get to in a minute here, the racing at that specific intermediate, unfortunately, also was lacking a bit, and Phoenix wasn't that great either. So even though you're a fan of Phoenix being the finale, and so am I, like the market's doing a great job, the track is incredible, the views, the fans turn out really, really well, I just am not sure if it has staying power for five, ten more years. No, you know? I, 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 I'd be fine with the rotation. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know it's impossible to do it this way. I would love to see a situation where, you know, when they that that going into the season, we, you don't know where the final yeah, race is. Yeah, you draw the name be. out of a hat. And basically when you get to the final the final uh playoff segment where they're yeah. getting ready to, you know, shortlist down to the final four that are going to run, you spin the wheel. It's like the round of eight cutoff. It's like, all right, where are we going next week? Let's find out. It's something like that where, yeah. you know, they, they give them enough times. Obviously, they can't pull it together in a week. But yeah. if you had like three tracks where potentially the final race was going to be yeah. and you gave them a month, you could, you could together, put like, you could do that. Yeah. I mean, you could put Phoenix, Fontana, short track, potentially in Homestead, like in a hat, and just say at the start of the round of eight, we're going to pick randomly. Yeah. I mean, that might be bordering too much on gimmicky for me, but I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility because we've yeah. done crazier things that would, before. That would be too gimmicky, but building a short track inside the L.A. Coliseum is okay. Point taken. Yeah. It's it's just all perspective. Yeah. Um, all right. So the next-gen car overall, I know you've, you've said your thoughts a couple times about it with the Wayback segment. We'll get to it here in a minute. But Sunday's race was kind of a microcosm of a problem Besides safety, I think the biggest problem that NASCAR has run into this season, and that's the performance of the car on short tracks and road courses. Now, I want to commend NASCAR because they've listened to the fans, the drivers, everybody in the industry when they've said, look, we like road courses. Let's go to some more. There might be a little bit too much for my liking, but I'm glad they're listening. They're also saying, all right, we love short tracks. Let's do more short tracks. They still have a little bit to be desired there, but they put a race in a stadium. That's technically a short track. They're bringing Bath North, North Wilkesboro. That's technically a short track, I believe. Um, they're maybe renovating Fontana into a short track. So they're doing things on the surface that is good. The problem is the car is not good on those racetracks. Martinsville, both races, was a snoozer, and it's not the racetrack's fault. Bristol, unfortunately, was marred by tire controversy, but the racing itself also wasn't that good. And when you have shifting at both of those racetracks – that's not great either. And again, it's not the racetrack's fault. So to ask you what what to do, what does NASCAR do? That's the million-dollar question. And I'm sure that there are smarter people than us that are working on it right now. They have been all year. But I think probably besides the safety aspect and fixing the rear clip, which they're in the process of doing as well, fixing how the car performs on short tracks, road courses, especially given that next year, the same last two races of the year, Martinsville and Phoenix, those are short tracks. You got to fix that. You got to improve it. No matter how much it costs, no matter what it takes, that I think is the number two priority of this offseason. What do you think? Um, I agree with you. NASCAR's got a lot of work that needs to happen, but you bring up an issue that has plagued motorsports since before I was born, let alone you were born. Um, and that I think is NASCAR's biggest challenge in the offseason. It's the ongoing tension between speed and performance versus safety. Yes, they gotta they gotta improve the performance of the new car, but they gotta make sure they do that in a way that is going to allow them to fix some of these safety issues that came to light this year. Mm -hmm. um, it you know in the last few weeks of my little part of the podcast. You know, I mentioned Elton Sawyer a couple weeks ago. My man. And, you know, this week, you know, I talked about Bob Bondurant. Um, one thing I didn't mention in my part, you know, because this, this has happened. I mean, when I was barely two years old in 1966. 
You're old. At the Belgian Grand Prix, Jackie Stewart had a really bad wreck. He was upside down in his car. He had fuel dripping all over him. He thought he was going to ignite and die in the car. Bob Bondurant and Graham Hill, who had come out of the race, they ran over. They got him out of the car. And after that, after they saved his life, Jackie Stewart became a vocal advocate for changes in Formula One to improve driver safety. Because at that time in the mid-60s, everybody was dying. They were losing drivers every week. Yeah. Um, and that was normal back then. Right. But there's an old saying about people that don't remember and heed the lessons of history are bound to repeat the mistakes of history. And we've seen that in motorsports year after year. In 1973, the you know, look up the 1973 Indy 500. Art Pollard dies in a practice crash. The thing that was going on that year, that was the year that people thought they were finally going to go over 200 miles an hour for qualifying in the Indy 500. Johnny Rutherford, you know, went over 199 in his qualifying run. But then at the start of the race, Salt Walther dies in a crash. Swede Savage, once the race restarts a few days later because of rain, he dies in a crash. And one of his teammates, crewmen, who goes running out of pit road to try to get him out of the car, he gets hit by a safety car and dies. Um, then people forget. They do something and then they forget. 1994, the San Marino Grand Prix. Oh, yeah, that's where Senna was killed. But what people people forget is it wasn't just Senna that weekend. Rubens Barrichello was his rookie teammate that year, had a gargantuan accident, almost lost his life. A guy named Roland Ratzenberger ended up in a crash. Mm -hmm. He was killed. Senna was so upset about that, he spoke to Alain Prost, a former teammate of his, about reestablishing the driver's council because the drivers, again, were getting amped up about, you know, the cars aren't safe. The cars aren't safe. And it happened during the race. The start of the race, J.J. Leto stalled on pit lane. Pedro Lamy ended up hitting his car, sent debris up into the stands. About 10 people were seriously hurt from that. And then, because they had a lousy pace car, Back then in Formula One, it was like a street car. It wasn't going fast enough. Everybody's tires got cold. That's what caused Senna to die. Once they restarted the race, Senna took off like a bat out of hell. His tires weren't warmed up. He got to the he got to a turn. I think it was the Ascari turn at, at the circuit. Ran off. Showed that he was on the brakes, but he had no traction in his tires. He crashed and he's dead. And everybody knows what happened in. 2001 at Daytona. I was there when Dale was killed. So I hope NASCAR heeds the lessons of history, that they're able to improve the performance of the cars, but first and foremost, they do it in a way that they're going to keep the drivers safe. Because if you don't have the drivers, you got no sport. So all those points are well taken, and all those examples are things that we should learn from and take. I have a different perspective because I was born in 96. I was alive when Dale Sr. passed away, but I was too young to comprehend the fact that he died and all that was happening and all that was surrounding that. Same with Adam Petty, Blaze Alexander, Tony Roper, you know, name all the all the guys that unfortunately passed away, you know, before 01. But since I have started watching NASCAR since I was five, six years old and since I've been working in it, Injuries are rare. Like the Ryan Newman thing, that does not happen. And that was a wake-up call. That's partially why NASCAR designed the next-gen car the way that they did, right? They they made it better for roof intrusion accidents, like with like what happened with Newman and what may have happened with Joey at Talladega last year. The car is unequivocally better in rare crashes like that. That's good. In doing that, they, and they've admitted this, they overlooked little things, little things like backing into the wall with a very solid rear clip that has no give to it. So when Alex Bowman or Martin Truex Jr. 
innocently spins and backs into the wall, something that looks totally innocuous, that puts Alex Bowman out for a month. That ends Kurt Busch's full-time driving career. That even on a restart, when somebody is just bumping into the, the rear of Tyler Reddick's car, he has to get out because he doesn't feel right on a restart. That doesn't happen. That shouldn't happen. So, and Freddie Kraft said this too, you know, if if this car, when NASCAR was developing it, testing it, et cetera, if anything showed them that this next-gen car was one-tenth of one-hundredth of one percent less safe than the Gen 6 car, then you shouldn't go to this car. Because if you're going backwards in safety, that is unacceptable. And that's where we're at. So, you know, a lot of people are, are sticking on the fact that we shouldn't have gotten to this point. You know, NASCAR's fault, yada, yada, yada. I think that's true. But at this point, you're not changing the car. You are changing the rear clip, which has been the problem spot. But you're not going to change the car. So instead of blaming NASCAR, Corey LaJoy has been basically saying, all right, let's fix it. Instead of dwelling on it and saying, oh, he said, she said, your fault, their fault, which, you know, it has truth to it, how we fix it. So that's what they're trying to do right now. And to their credit, again, they're developing a new rear clip. NASCAR themselves are fronting the cost for it, and they are paying for it instead of the teams, which is a unprecedented move as I understand it, because whenever NASCAR kind of issues updates for something, the teams have to pay for it. But with a new spec car and a spec program like IndyCar has had, NASCAR is in uncharted territory. So injuries like this, they did not anticipate them happening. Changes to the rear clip, they did not anticipate that happening. Tire issues, nut issues, all these things, these are things that NASCAR is encountering because they've never done something like this before, and it was a radical change in a sport that essentially rejects radical changes. So I give them credit for being outside-of-the-box thinkers and getting with the times a little bit, and Steve Phelps admitting a couple years ago the quote, we candidly lost our way a little bit. I commend them for admitting that and going down this road. But I also think that there's truth to Freddie's statement of if this car was one ounce less safe than the prior one, it's a mistake to go to it. Fact of the matter is we're here. We're not going back. So how do we fix it? And to go back to your stories about the F1 guys, the open wheel guys, I find that different but similar because this is NASCAR. This is stock cars. There are roofs. There are fenders. There's carbon fiber. There's quarter panels. Open wheel racing has always been more unsafe and more dangerous than stock car racing has been. Not to say stock car racing is unsafe because we get stark reminders of that a lot nowadays. But it was, it's was it been jarring to me this year to see Kurt out, to see Bowman out, to see Reddick take himself out. Uh, Cody Ware, I mean, this was in a rear impact, but had a leg injury for an insanely big hit at Charlotte because this stuff doesn't happen. Like the Kyle Busch thing, when he broke his legs, we were at that race. And that just kind of looked like an innocuous hit, but he didn't hit a safer barrier. All right, freak deal. You don't hit a safer barrier. That's what happens. They put safer barriers up there the next year. You're good to go. Um, the Ryan Newman thing. Freak deal. You get thrown up into the air. You get hit in the worst possible place that you can get hit when you have absolutely no padding, intrusion, whatever. That's also kind but of a freak deal. He lived to tell about it. Right. Miraculously, I should add. But... It's one thing to have a Kyle Busch-type crash, a Cody Ware-type crash, a Ryan Newman-type crash, and that happen once every couple years, once every few years. It's different to have small impacts, innocuous, quote-unquote, spins or wrecks that have head trauma and head injuries, and the fact that spotters have to tell drivers as they're mid-spin to get their head back, or they're having to adjust the foam that's inside the cockpit around the head area. It shouldn't happen, but... It is. So overall, the next-gen car, and this is my question to you, it's, it's had its challenges. It's had its positives. I think 19 different winners in a single season is um, a source of pride for the sanctioning body to have that parity. Uh, the performance on intermediate tracks, which has been lacking in recent years, has seen a significant positive uptick. Unfortunately, short tracks and road courses have gone the other way. And unfortunately, more than anything, safety has gone the other way. What grade would you give the next-gen car in year one of it being a 36-race points-paying schedule? Because we've heard about it for years. It got pushed back a little bit, and now it's here, and now we don't have five, ten races to go on it. We got a full body of work. What grade would you give it? A C. So passing, but not great. 
Yeah, I look. We're not going to. No one, even NASCAR, isn't going to say that. You know, the goal here is not to turn racing on the weekend in a stock car into the equivalent of getting on to the highway in a passenger car. There's always going to be risk. There's always going to be danger in race cars. That's what makes it what it is. Um, I think all of the sanctioning bodies have come a very long way in taking death out of the equation for the most part in terms of how the cars and the tracks are put together. My point is, even with that, NASCAR can do better. You're right. It's unacceptable given the level of technology. Money. Money. Understanding we have now of accidents that people are getting rear-ended and they're getting concussions. And I'm good at spending other people's money, but like, you got to spend whatever it takes. You know what I mean? Like, you can't. You can't say, oh, we don't have the money for that because from a PR perspective, that's just dumb. And they haven't said that, but like you got to do whatever it takes. I'm confident that I am too. they're going to fix it. I am too. And I'm, and I'm confident that people smarter than you and I understand the importance of them being able to go to the drivers before, before testing starts and before Daytona rolls around and explain, look, we think we fixed it. Here's what we've done. And they've already started those here's, conversations. Yeah. Here's why we think this is going to work. Yeah. And we're not going to rest until we're certain that it's been fixed. And I hope that the driver's council takes a bigger role next year in terms of being, being able to have a more direct line to NASCAR management when they're concerned about something going on. Yeah. Agreed. All right. I want to end here. There's been a lot of changes this year besides the next gen car, you know, the clash happened. It feels like a lifetime ago, but that was insane and incredible in its own right. Did it feel like a long season to you? It felt like Uh, this season went on forever. Yeah. Yes, it did. You don't work in it every day. (laughs) Um, Love my job, but my God. So the clash that was, of one of a kind, first of its kind event, I thought it went out resoundingly successful. Um, you have the announcement of a Chicago street course race on my birthday next year. Uh, that's going to happen. They're bringing back North Wilkesboro, which everybody and their mother and their dead grandmother assumed was never going to happen. Heck count, yeah. count me as one of them. Heck yeah. So there's a lot of changes going on, right? From a schedule perspective, from a car perspective, from a younger drivers coming in. Um, there's a lot going on and for me, I'm, I'm cool with all of it because I'm of the younger ilk and I'm cool with all these new different hip things, right? You're older than me. You're not old, but you're older than me. And you started watching NASCAR kind of when it, when it was in its heyday or just starting to get on that positive trajectory upwards. So you've seen it from its Southern roots, then getting a little bit too big for its britches receding down in the you know mid to late 2000s and 2010s and now it seems like it's enjoying or on the start of a bit of a another positive uptick has have all these changes be it racing in a stadium racing on the street racing somewhere that was closed and everybody promised would never come back how has that all affected your perspective and your point of view on the sport as a whole um i like where I hope the sport is heading now. You're right. I mean, there were times when, you know, imagine, you know, we go to Dover a lot. Yeah. Um, imagine Dover before they got rid of some of the grandstands. Well, I was there. I just don't remember. Where like, it was completely a big bowl and every single seat filled up. And that was before they put the advertisements over the grandstands and before they removed them. People in every seat. I I used to have specially printed out ways to get to and from the track that went through the Amish. You had your back roads. Yeah. My my back roads to get in and out of the track. And we always parked behind the Valero with yes it was insane. Um I don't know that NASCAR is ever gonna get back to that. I don't know that they aspire to ever get back to that. Mm Um, but 
we need the sport needs to get back to a place where the racing is what is bringing people yeah. to the track and getting them to tune in. Um, it's still just too much follow the leader racing still too much, you know, as technology got better, getting into this point where, you know, you get too close to the car in front of you and you start pushing loose and you know, you can get to a car, but you can't pass a car. I don't know if the answer is more power. I don't know if the answer is less power. Ask the drivers, they'll say more power. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if NASCAR needs to experiment with sort of like what IndyCar does in terms of a push to pass button mm. for a certain amount. But um, I think as they're exploring ways to not only fix the safety of the car but the performance, um, I think people want to see more passing. Um, they want to see more competitive action on the track, not so much more speed. I think people, at least speaking for myself, yeah, speed does not equal be, good racing. I'd be willing to sacrifice speed, yeah, if it meant that there was more passing, like corner the, speed specifically, right? Corner speed specifically at the short tracks and the intermediates, right? And even when I think of the big tracks like at Daytona, I loved the racing that they used to have at Daytona and Talladega, the slingshot drafting where, you know, basically you could draft up on a guy, slingshot past them, and then the next straightaway, they're slingshotting right past That's Talladega Nights, exactly. you again. Um, <laughs> I'd love to see them try to find a way yeah. to get back to that. But there's an opportunity now. You're right. They went from the time when they were turning people away from tracks. They couldn't build enough seats to the point where it was embarrassing. You know, they go on the air and you and I would joke, where are all the people at? Yeah. Um, and now the people are coming back to the tracks. Mm -hmm. um, Partly we, because in the instance of The Clash and Chicago, they are bringing the race to the people. So, I mean, what you said is true in terms of, you Long need to term, get, though, you got to give them a better show. Right, that's what I'm saying. You got to give them a better show because good racing will cure all. But this is not 1995. This is not 2005. This isn't 2015. It's not 2021. Things are changing, right? So, you know, the Chicago street race, regardless of if the racing's good, which, spoiler alert, everybody doesn't think it's going to be, <laughs> the event itself is going to be what everybody's talking about and why people go. The Chicago street race is not for somebody in Wilkes County. The Wilkesboro All-Star race is for that person. The Chicago street race is for your big wig tech consulting person that hears about formula one and is like Ooh, this is sponsor a sponsor of cars sure, sure like so the chicago street race and the clash like those are big events in major metropolitan areas that nascar's ben kennedy is on the record of saying that they really want a presence in chicagoland speedway is not in the city of chicago it's in joliet and we've been there that ain't chicago fontana is not in los angeles the coliseum is right in the heart of it so what they're doing is bringing the races to the people. Is it on a traditional racetrack with traditional grandstand seatings and, you know, uh, progressive banking? No. But again, this is 2022, about to be 2023. So events, bringing it to the people. That's what they're focusing on. It's not their main focus, but it's a big focus. I agree with you, though. Making the racing better will fix everything in the long term because if the race is good, people will watch People will talk about it, and the product will pay for itself and sell itself. But in the meantime, until they get to that point, because it's obviously easier said than done, I think that making these events and making things hip, more interactive for a younger crowd like myself, because I'm the type of people that they're going for, I think these things that they're doing are, are right. Because I had a bunch of friends that live in Chicago that were hitting me up about it when they announced the Chicago street race. Same with people living on the West Coast when they were at the Clash. So I think it can be both. Same thing with Ty Gibbs. Like You can admit that you've gotten to where you're at partly because of what your last name is, but you also can realize I'm damn good at what I do and I'm talented. No, but you made a good point. I mean, for you know, for the, 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 racing, the racing fan from Southern Alabama or deep in Mississippi. That's not... That's yeah. not, you know, if for the people in Chicago, 
what NASCAR presumably is shooting for is for those people to walk away from the race, whether it was a good race or a bad race, and say, I had a fun time this week. Or like, that was interesting. That was different. Maybe I'll watch next week. Yeah, maybe. Right, exactly. I had a fun time. There were... There was music. The food was good. And you know what? Even people that are in Talladega or Mississippi that maybe don't go to the race but watch it on TV, I guarantee you the novelty factor of it, they probably said the same thing for The Clash. You know what they're going to say? They're going to say, I was a bit of a skeptic, but that was different. I liked it. I don't want it every week, and you're not going to get it every week, but I'm cool with doing that once a year maybe. That's the thing. They're experimenting. They're trying. They're putting money where their mouth is. But I think you and I both agree that at the heart of it, there was an old an old country song talked about don't 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 forget your raisin. Don't forget where you come from. Um, NASCAR can't forget what its roots are. Again, they did and they admitted that. They, now they're trying to fix that. So they gotta they gotta make the racing better for the rest of the season where yeah. all right, you know, where they're slogging through weekends, dealing with rain delays and all the other um, they have to find a way to make the the tracks that aren't the five star tracks give the television audience who are the hardcore racing fans the ones that are calling into the drive every morning wanting to talk about it, saying you know I like I liked what I saw. Yeah, uh, mother, your assistance is requested to close out the show. Here she comes. Uh, I would like your hardiest kachiga to send your two men off into the sunset for this episode, episode 169 of Victory Lane. Give it to me. Kachiga! And there you have it. She did well, right? Can't do better than that. One more. Kachiga! She wound up for that one. She wound up for that one. Thank you, Mama. Thank you, Papa. Thank you. And we're back. Oh, Mama Siegel. You never fail to make me laugh, Mama. That's why we love you. Uh, thank you to Papa Siegel. Thank you to Mama Siegel for the late cameo there. Uh, I like picking my dad's brain on that kind of stuff. Similar to racing with Robin a couple weeks ago, she's obviously a newer fan, right? She sees things through a different lens. She doesn't know what she doesn't know. And my dad has seen all the good, the bad, the positive, the negatives, the upwards, the downward slopes. And now we're kind of in an upward slope again, as as we mentioned there. So I like to pick his brain every now and then and and get his temperature on where we are with things. He obviously is the one that got me into this wild and wacky sport in the first place. So I can blame you for all my uh, stress and anxieties when it comes to this crazy, crazy sport that we work in. But... Uh, I, I wanted to get his perspective, and I like doing it in times like these where it's the off season. It's kind of a good time for reflection, for looking ahead, and also kind of hearkening back to what got us here, and that's kind of what we all talked about in that little chat there. So thank you, Dad, for the time. I know you're retired and you have nothing else to do, but uh, I appreciate it nonetheless, and I hope you guys did as well listening. I have a feeling that you did. And if everybody's a big fan of Papa Siegel, like he assumes, rightly or wrongly so, Tweet me, beat me, you know how to reach me, or hit him up or something. I don't know if you know how to hit him up, but do something. Let him know. All right, that'll wrap things up for the nicest episode in the 100s, episode 169. Please, 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 please do me a favor. It's real quick, simple and easy. If you like what you heard here today, leave a rating and a review. You can do that by subscribing to this podcast on Apple You can leave a rating and a review there. Five stars is preferred and appreciated. It's real quick. You can also listen to us on Google, SoundCloud, the little green app as well, where there's a lot of music and podcasts for you to listen to. Please, it's simple. It's easy. It helps spread the word about this show. You know, a lot of podcasts in the NASCAR space, be it DBC, Dale Jr. Download, et cetera, et cetera, they go kind of dark in the offseason. And I don't want Victory Lane to be that way it never has been i don't think it's going to change this offseason i'm probably not going to be cranking out long form episodes every single week just because people are hard to get a hold of it's the offseason frankly i gotta take care of myself a little bit and not overwork myself like i have for the past 40 or so weeks along with everybody else in the industry but i do want to provide you guys some content some unique content at that 
So I will be cranking out episodes, fear not, throughout the offseason. It might not be every single week like clockwork, but it will be in your podcast feed. So hit that follow button, hit that subscribe button, and I will get it cranking for y'all. We'll be back with another episode probably next week. I got one in the can with Harrison Burton. We spent some time together at Phoenix this past week, just chilling in the back of his hauler. Brian Wilson made a little cameo as well, so hope you guys are looking forward to that. I'm probably going to run that for y'all next week. It's a bit shorter, but a good chat with Harrison as he was wrapping up his rookie season at Phoenix. And after that, who knows, man? We'll see where the offseason takes us. All right, I appreciate you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed championship weekend. I know I did. Congrats to Zane Smith. Congrats to Ty Gibbs. Congrats to Afric. Joey Logano, you guys are champs. Soak it in, enjoy it, and congrats to you. You guys have made it the 36th race season, not even counting the other exhibition races. It's been long. It's been a grind. It has been fun, and I really enjoyed doing it all alongside y'all. Peace and love, my dudes and dudettes. We'll talk to y'all next week. Try to get by with no racing this week. I think you can do it.